Amen. What a good day, church. Amen. It is good. Um, you know, I was reminded, and, and just to remind you as well, um, we'll take time each month, uh, or each each month, to um, just reinforce this idea that we are to be rooted in Christ. Uh, and so next week we have Children's Sunday coming up, Family Sunday coming up, and we'll have a chance there. Uh, following that, we'll have our time where we pray together in church over prayer requests. And so if there are prayers that you would just like, we do it without names being connected to them when we put them on the screens. But, but we want to make and take time to make sure we're rooted in Christ through prayer as a family at least once a month, very intentionally and very personally. And I'm reminded uh, even today... Um, each week, Ron Lindsay pulls out the table for us and helps uh, prepare us for worship. He's one of the most uh, incredible um, worship through my, my life kind of guys. Uh, and Ron had a stroke this week. And uh, he's in the hospital and stable and doing okay right now. But if you will be praying for Ron and Karen as we uh, just continue in our journey together as a family, I won't tell your name for every prayer request, but I know with Ron today, he's such a special part of our uh, praise team, and we don't get to see him today. And so please be lifting he and Karen up uh, for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we'll be in verse 16 all the way down through verse 30 today. And, and when we do that, um, we're kind of ending this first slice of our journey through uh, the story of Christ, but also our journey through the book of Luke. We, we, this chapter 4 really is our transitional moment. Uh, today, we're going to be reading what Luke records as the first sermon Jesus gives. And so its placement here, it, it transitions from this affirmation of who Jesus is and starts to tie that together with Jesus living it out, teaching us, guiding us as the gospel unfolds in his life. And so today is really one of those pivotal days uh, that we really need to walk through. It's one of those um, parts of his story that we want to lean into. And in Luke chapter 14, uh, we really are going to see the power of the word. And I don't know if you've ever uh, been told this by your mom. Maybe, you know, sometimes in elementary school or in junior high or high school, sometimes adults, kids say mean things. Have you ever noticed that? And, and, and sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. I remember when I was uh, in fourth grade at, um, in my little school in Panama City. Uh, it was like a field day. Y'all remember like the presidential fitness test? Y'all remember that stuff back in the day? So it was presidential fitness test day and I wore my, my speed shorts. You know what that is? They're shorts that had zippers on the side a little bit that let my legs run faster. You know, Jeff, speed shorts like that? Not the 70s speed shorts. That was irresponsible. These are different. And so they kind of could go a little bit faster. And, and I remember then after racing, everybody's got their drilling going in fourth grade. I remember a little, little girl uh, was a great friend of mine at the time. Her name was Valerie. And we're running. And I turn and she turns and she falls. And as a fourth grade boy, my heart opens up with the love of Jesus and says, dun, 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 another one bites the dust. <laughs> Ah, oh, David. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that a true statement? Oh, it's really not. 
<laughs> I look back, I would have wore that fourth grade David Adams out, okay? If you're in fourth grade, that's inappropriate, amen? <laughs> Our words have power, don't they? They have meaning. They have the power to do good. They have the power to do harm. And, and what we're running into today is that if our words, which are just a shadow of the glory of our King, has so much power, how much more does the word have than our words? You see, I think there are times, and we're going to walk through it today, that we look and we, we, we look through our shadow experiences and we try to apply those directly to God when instead of being a direct application, they're just a shadow pointing us to a glorious better. And when we think about the word today, we transition to thinking not about our words, but to pull away from that. And we look at the power of the word. And that's what we're talking about today as we look in Luke chapter 4. And I know we have chili, so we're getting out on time. Amen? Yeah, I need a riot in a Baptist church, okay? So Luke chapter 4, verse 16. If you'll read with me down through verse, uh, let's start in verse 21 today as we get rolling. We'll jump into the, the word together. <clears throat> the Bible says this. And he came to Nazareth, and when he had been brought up, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Well, he sent me to proclaim uh, liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue are fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is really great. So let me line you up a little bit about Jewish custom and give you the scene that we're walking into. So we have kind of our oldest record of an agenda or worship service flow in a Jewish synagogue really had to do with starting by singing some psalms together. And then it was reading the Shema after that. Then followed by that, there was a reading of blessings. And then you would read a little bit from the law. And then you would read a little bit more um, from, from later on from the prophets. And then they would invite a local teacher or rabbi to teach on a section of scripture. And we don't know if the rabbi had any input into what scroll was handed to him or it was just a fun game that the guys in charge of the synagogue was like, let's see what he does now. You know, we don't know. Um, but, but that's the scene. And so you would stand up to read God's word, but then often you would sit, and that's where you would, would preach. And, and so the, the totality of Jesus' sermon is, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then it says in verse 21, this is so awesome, um, verse 22, uh, and all spoke well of any marvel the gracious words coming out of his mouth. Like, that's it. Don't you wish I could preach a sermon that short? Like, all he did was read the word and said, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. There you go. This, this sermon that Jesus teaches, it's earth-shaking. 
because I'm not Jesus, I can't say something like that. No matter how wonderful you are, whether your name is Billy Graham or, or Bobby Lee, it doesn't matter. There is no one in all of creation that can read that passage and say, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. That's the summation of it, except the one to whom the passage points to. Like, that's the only direction you get. That's the only way that it goes. And, and, and here's what I want you to know. The word always leads to Jesus. The word always leads to Jesus. When you read your Bible, if you are the period of every lesson where it ends, you're reading the Bible incorrectly. You follow me? If you are, are, are reading the Bible to become a morally good person, you are missing Scripture. You are never the period. It, it's not your story. It's not my story. The Word leads to Jesus, whether it's in the beginning in, in Genesis 1 or whether, whether it's Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And Jesus, in, in saying right here, right now, as I read the word today, it finds its completion, its period, in me. Have a seat. Now, here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to pretend that you all have been waiting for the Messiah. And somebody that has a reputation that you don't know completely, reads that, puts it down, and says, today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. If I were to say that, what should you do? Stand up and walk out, right? right? Maybe throw something is reasonable in that case? Because only one can say that, and he better be right. Let me show you why this is so obscene, unless it's true. Let's go back to what Jesus read first, all right? Go back to your Bible. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, you'll see in verse, excuse me, 18, um, Jesus is reading from part of Isaiah. And we'll find Isaiah 61 and 62 in that. So let's read it again, and we'll kind of walk through this. The Bible says it this way. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Just pause right there. In this moment, we are reading Isaiah chapter 61. That is literally, if you were to turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 61, that's where it starts. And then it brings out this wonderful unpacking that the Lord's, the Lord's anointing brings about this year of jubilee. Like this year of good news is coming. And this year of Jubilee, it points back to Leviticus chapter 25. In Leviticus 25, it really talks about when my people come into the promised land, there's going to be this 49 years that, that you're, going to, you're going to take care of the land and whatever, like I said. But then you're going to have a year of Jubilee, and you're going to let the land rest, and you're going to let you rest. In the 49th year, I'll give you a double portion harvest. In the year of Jubilee, if you have bought land from someone, every purchase is a 49-year lease. It goes back to that family. You're not gonna, I'm not going to cut them off. It's not how it works. It's long-term leases. That's how it happens. Because it's my promise that's dealt with. So in other words, even bondage here on earth, it's not going to be eternal in my promise. I'm going to set you free. 
you've had a hard year, you can be sure that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring it back around. Trust in me. Believe in me. And some of the words that Scripture points to in this, they're incredible. In fact, I would tell you that they're a man-centered dream or they're a God-ordained promise, but they can't be both. And the people of Israel saw this as a God-given opportunity, but a man-centered dream that everybody wanted and no one practiced. 490 years go by. It never shows that men embraced the faith in God's word. They, they never valued the word for what it was enough to practice obedience to the one who gave it. And so after 490 years, they go into captivity and God gives the land its rest. If the people reject the promise, God will still be faithful to what he said. And so so when we have this picture of something that was only a dream, God says, in Jesus Christ, I'm gonna make it true. Listen to part of chapter 61 and 62. It's a great read later on. Here's some of the promises. I will give you beauty for ashes. I will give you a double portion instead of shame. I will build you up. I will raise you up. I will repair what has been broken. He says, I will call you. My delight is in her. I will call you the holy place. I will call you the redeemed of the Lord. I will call you the the sought out. I will call you a city not forsaken you see what isaiah 61 and 62 points to and forward to in jesus christ is that the promise of god's plan that is spoken the word is better than your very best present that you're in right now could you imagine what it's like to have that repair that redemption to always be on the horizon I mean, just in our broken world, every 49 years, your silly decisions fixed. God restores so that there's not a legacy of pain passed down. Could you you hold on to that? And what Jesus says when he reads it in Scripture, today, Luke chapter 4, verse 21, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He is saying it has begun. It's not just redeeming the land. It's not just you get a fresh start for bad decisions. It's not just I'm going to help you start over. He's saying, today, I am the Lord's anointed. Today, I am ushering in the joy and the promise. Today, it starts. Church, in this moment, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. Everything that the Old Testament has pointed towards, it is me. And the, the gospels don't miss it. As you read through the word, John chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter one, verse, verse one, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, right? If you go into um, uh, Luke, or excuse me, Matthew one, one, Mark one, one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is the story you're reading about is the Messiah. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, 
the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Every victory, every trial, every struggle, every opportunity that affords you that we read about from this point on, you have to decide, are you reading the story of the Messiah? Are you reading what God revealed so strongly to these men and these women that it is the lens through which you will look at Jesus from here on out? Do you believe it? See, a lot of times we give people a hard time for not believing. Like if Jesus was right here, of course I would believe. But the reality is, the more you know about the word, the harder you looked. It's not going to be your best bet. It's not going to be your mind that unsolves the Rubik's Cube. Either the word is sufficient or it is not. So the rest of this sermon, if you don't know the answer to that question, that's all I want you to think about. That's all I want you to care about. Because that's the rest of Jesus' sermon. The rest of this portion of his teaching and then when he speaks up after he's done, it all points to this one spot. Today, I am telling you, I am the Lord's anointed. If anyone tells you that Jesus didn't claim to be the Son of God, then they are ignoring Scripture. If anyone tells you that, that Jesus just had the Spirit of God rest upon him, that he wasn't the anointed, then they are choosing to ignore Scripture. And the reality is it doesn't matter who they say Jesus is. Who do you say he is? And is his word sufficient? See, the rest of the sermon is to let you know, how do I know if I've trusted his word? How do I know if that's enough? Let's follow along. Verse 22, Luke chapter 4. The Bible says it this way. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, now what's funny is when we read it this way, we kind of think, okay, Jesus seems like he turns the conversation. Why does he turn the conversation? All of a sudden he makes it negative and by the end they want to kill him. Right? Jesus, did you misread that, or how is it working? And the, and the good or bad of it is, is as we pull this together, what I want you to know is the word spoke well of is the word they witnessed about. It, it's the word, it means they testified about. In other words, when Jesus said, today it's been fulfilled in your hearing, they all started talking about what they thought about what he just said. Amen? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I mean, it's that moment when all of a sudden it wasn't people are going, oh, let me think about that for a minute. No, there's a reaction. Either I'm going to buy what he's saying or I am looking for a group to rile up to make a riot because pitchforks are necessary. The wording doesn't lean towards a positive or a negative. And most likely in that group, there were both. And why do I say that? Because Jesus says to the negative, let's have a conversation about the word. And he says it around us. 
And so today, if you're wondering, can Jesus be it? Because I'm telling you, I, I know this Sunday school teacher and he's a jerk. Or I found this pastor and he's a failure. Or I've, I've seen this person, the man, the, if you would have known the mouth on that guy and he goes to church and is a deacon, better not come here. But anyway, that's a different story. I, we let everybody else's words impact this question. Stop. Everyone in this room is broken. Everyone in this room is broken. But Jesus isn't. And what you receive about his word today, all the word of God leads to me. That is the question you need to know where your heart stands. So how do you know? What are you looking for? Verse 23, verse 22, we'll read through that. We'll read all the way down through verse 28. Just keep us on the same page, then we'll jump through this. The Bible says it this way. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to him, doubtless, you'll quote to me, this is Jesus, this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What, what, have we, heard, what we heard you did at Capernaum, here, do in your hometown as well. And he, Jesus, said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But I tell you the truth. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the whole land. And Elijah was sent to none but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there was many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman, the Syrian. And they heard these things all in the synagogue and they were filled with wrath we know at the end that they didn't receive there's at least a large group in here that didn't receive what Jesus said so because Jesus said all of the word leads to me but then he unpacks two truths and here's the first one the word is not subordinate to its works the word is not subordinate to his works. I love what Jesus says. He says, listen, doubtful, you'll quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. If you were to look in Proverbs, would you find that proverb? No. It's a man-made Confucius say kind of thing. In other words, he's saying, doubtless, you'll want me to make God's word submissive to your word and your tradition. Doubtless that's what you'll want from me. It's doubtless that you will want God to prove his word to you. See, here's the problem. If you and I treat this statement today, it has been fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, I am the Messiah. If you are saying, God, I need you to prove it to me. We're treating salvation and God as if he's like some like recruiting person. You know what I mean? Like he's a headhunter looking for the best of the best to fill heaven with for all eternity. Right? It, that's what we're saying. You know what? I heard what you said. Just go ahead and, and prove it to me. Like king of kings, lord of lords, I know you made heavens and earth. I know you made me and I absolutely want to worship the right person. So if you'll just do me a favor, your word is insufficient and so if you'll become subordinate to your creation, to the works of your hand and do what I ask you to do, then we'll be good. Have you ever been there? Have you ever treated the Lord like he's recruiting you? Like, God, I really want to do it and I know you want me. 
And I get it. Once I take this job of being a Christian with you, you become my boss forever. The problem is when we see God as our boss and not as our Lord, even though your boss is in charge of you, they still kind of need you, don't they? You still do have some plays in this game. You still do have a little influence in them. And, And if you and I are looking to make the word subordinate to its works, I want to let you know that you have answered the question, is Jesus your Messiah? Is he your Lord? Because the answer is no. And he he walks through this picture of, of this mindset of you want God to submit to who you are, to pacify the creation. Church, the problem is this, is that Scripture has a total rejection of the word being submissive or subordinate to its works. Total rejection. Crazy story, 1 Kings chapter 13. There's a prophet. There's a wayward king. And he wants to be blessed. And the prophet has been told by God, don't even go and eat where you've been. Like you walk away and you don't go back. And so as the prophet is walking away, hearing clearly from the Lord what he said, I'm sure his heart was for the people. And he runs into an older prophet on the way. And the older prophet says, where are you going? Come back and eat with me. And he said, well, actually, the Lord has told me I can't go back where I've been and eat with you. God's blessing's been removed from that. And the old prophet, true true story, says, hey, I'm an old prophet too. And an angel of God came and told me that it was okay for you to turn around and come have a meal with me. So the, the prophet that had just walked away, somewhat relieved, who knows what, says, well, that sounds great. Well, let me turn around. And he goes and eats dinner. And while he's eating dinner with the old prophet, verse 20, verse 22 through 22 of 1 Kings 13. As they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who brought him back. And he cried to the man of God from Judah, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord God commanded you, but have come back and eaten bread and drunk water in the place where he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to me in the tomb of your fathers. And in the next verse, the prophet loses his life. You might say, well, that seems unfair. God, he was tricked. No. He trusted the word of man over the word of God. See, I think there are times when you and I want Jesus to be our our Messiah but we think our heart is more compassionate or more right than his. So we just need him to prove himself to us. And so we're looking for opportunities to make the word of God subject to what might be the word of God in some other way, shape, or form. Let me tell you this. God does not take lightly this thought process. He didn't take it lightly with this prophet. He doesn't take it lightly with us. It doesn't matter who you are. In Jesus' stories in Luke chapter 4, it's a widow and and it's a guy named Naaman. The widow is a widow who's about to die. Her son's about to die. She has nothing. She's the bottom of the barrel. Naaman in Syria is, is a commander. He leads the army. He's a leper, but he is a dude's dude. He's thought well of. 
It doesn't matter who you are. The word of God is not subordinate to you. And if that is part of the terms for your belief, Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3, is your conviction. Now, faith is the assurance of what is hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Conviction of things not seen. You were created. There's no doubt about it. But let me ask you the question, are there terms for your acceptance? Are, are, are you telling God, if you'll just do this, then I'm all in. If you'll just do this, I'll make it happen. If you'll just fulfill my request of submission, then I'll believe. I want you to know, to say to God, I need to see it to believe it, by definition means you have no And this morning, if that is a revelation for you, it doesn't have to be the same when you walk out. Because the word has said in Jesus, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It doesn't matter what you believed yesterday or walking in. In this moment, you can say, God, I repent of trying to make the word submissive to its works. And I will trust in your word. But it's not just that. As you read through this, there's a second truth. The word is not secondary to works. Okay? So the word is not submissive to works. We are his workmanship. But it's also not secondary. In other words, seeing the works of God is not more powerful than the word of God in his promises. I want you to hear this again. Seeing the work of God is not more powerful, more potent, more impressive than the spoken promise, the plan, and the word of God. If, if we receive that, it'll change everything about you. In these stories, go back and we'll read them again just to keep them fresh. In your Bible, uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, let's start in verse 25. He tells two stories. The first, he says, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And the heavens were shut up three years, six months. A great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath inside and the woman as a widow and then secondly verse 27 there were many lepers in israel in the time of the prophet elisha and none of them was cleansed but only naaman the syrian why did he pick these two there's a lot to pick from but let me tell you about both of these elijah and the widow as this famine is going on god tells elijah i've told a widow there to provide for you and so when he goes down, he finds this widow and he says, can I have some water? And she says, absolutely. And then he says, would you make me a little cake of bread? And she says to him, this is all I have left. My son and I are gonna eat it and then we're gonna die. And Elijah says, if you'll make me that cake, the Lord will provide for you. And she acted the word bled obedience and the works was the fruit of the promise 
but it wasn't the trunk of it. You follow me? Naaman, the Syrian, he, he was a leprous man and he was highly esteemed. He went into God's promised area and came to the king of Israel and said, hey, I've heard you can heal me. And the king goes crazy. He says, there's not a possible. I can't do that. Well, Elisha hears about it. And he says, tell him to come to me. And, and so Naaman comes to him and he's, he's waiting for something awesome. And Elijah says, no problem. Just go dunk yourself in the river right out here seven times, call a day, you'll be good. Naaman freaks out. He's like, are you kidding me? Th this water is dirty and nasty. The rivers back home are prettier than this. If that's all it took, I might as well just dunk myself three or four times over. He leaves angry. And the servant girl says, hey, chill out. Chill out. Why don't you just obey? Why don't you just obey the word and see what happens? He goes in, dirty, nasty water. He comes out, and he is clean. The word is what is awesome. It is primary, not secondary to the works. Here's the problem. In our worldview, we are surrounded by liars. We are surrounded by well-intentioned people who have no power to make their word be true. And so we apply that to God. God, I've been let down by so many people. And so the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It doesn't apply to the Lord proof of the pudding is in the promise of the one who has prepared the table before you in the presence of your enemy do you believe in the word and if God has made a promise do you believe that even though you can't see it even though you don't know how it's going to happen even though it doesn't make sense is the word of God the power the dunamis for salvation for life or are you just still saying, God, I love it when you make a promise, but it's so much better when you do a cheap parlor trick for me on the side. When Jesus takes these recitations and when you hear his story, you start to understand in Matthew 18 where Jesus says, you've got to have faith like a child. See, we're really brilliant adults, aren't we? We have been burned and beat up and abused. And we've done our share of the same thing. And what Jesus says is don't have faith like a rabbi, a scholar, a preacher, or a friend. What he says is this. You need to have faith like a child. One who has not been stained by the sin of all of this disappointment in life. Someone who's not been broken down by all of this. Scott, tell you where everybody's going. The sermon didn't just get bad, amen? All right, they're going to feed you. That's right. But that's not, that's not what he says. He says, will you trust me like you trusted your daddy when you were four or five when he said, I'm not letting go of the seat. He's teaching you how to ride a bike. And although you can't understand how you're gonna balance, you trusted him. Will you trust that the word that says, I've got you if you fall, that they're true? 
See, the rest of the story of the life of Christ, you and I were not there for. And the promise of eternity in the future, the, the promise of, of his word coming to life tomorrow or the next day, to be your daily bread is, is the power of the word. Is it in some holding pattern as if it lacks power until it comes true? Or do you believe in the word? The centurion who came to Jesus said, heal this servant at my house. Said, you don't even need to come. I'll trust your word. And his story was great. Do you trust in the word of God or is it secondary? Do you brag on the promises of God or only on the things that he's done for you? Here's the problem with that. When there becomes a gap in the things, your faith's gonna fall apart. But if the promise is primary, if the word is primary, then it is the foundation from today until forever. And here's the last thing I want you to know. The word works. He who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it because the word of God works. He can't be unfaithful to himself. He can't be unfaithful to his word. And no matter who gets in the way, the Bible says they all were filled with wrath. Verse 29, and they rose up and drove him out of town. They brought him to the brow on a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. How does that happen? Because the word's not subordinate to its works. The word works. Every promise of God is true, and, and I know it because he said so. Not simply because I've seen things. This morning, who do you put your faith in? The God who is sovereign beyond your fathomable. I can't even, that's a bad word, imagination. More than your mind can think of. Or do you only believe in a God? who is broken like you, but prettier. One is real and leads to life eternal. And the other leads to death because he holds no power. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you spoke the world into existence, that your word was enough we praise you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word, the promise of Isaiah 61, it was fulfilled in our hearing, in our reading, in your son, Jesus. So God, let us be a people that believe in the word, the testimony of your son. So Lord, right now in this room, I pray that you would stir every heart. Do I believe the word of God, whose name is Jesus? Lord, and if they do, Lord, that the confession of their heart becomes light and full and real. 
because that's what your word says. Father God, let us not be a people who claim the name of Christ, but make him subordinate to our brokenness, who make your promises secondary to our checklist. We love you, Father, in your name.